Chris, are we extra deranged today because we're in person? It's because of all, I think these weird audio dampening things that Josh hung are actually mind control QAnon. They're space lasers, basically. Um, and they're ours. And they're, they're our space lasers. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined at close quarters together again by so many people, not just my co-hosts. First of all, Leah Leibowitz, how are you? I am so happy to be here in person. Ed, Stephanie Budick, how are you? I'm good. There are a lot of people in a very small room right now. Did we always used to do this? No, so (laughs) we used to be, of course, at the great Argo Studios, Requiescat in Pache, uh, which went to the great studio heaven in the sky because Paul Ruest retired to Mexico. And we miss Argo Studios, but we've, Josh Cross has retrofitted a room at the tablet offices into a studio that now holds in about 12 square feet, the three hosts, the quaducer, Robert Scaramuccia and Josh Cross were all on top of each other. <laughs> Which, as Stephanie said, makes contact tracing very easy. Very easy. So this is the super spreader right here. Um, how do we feel in this room? I, first of all, I want to say I love being in a room that has those weird sound studio things in it, like weird foam on the wall. Josh went all out. There's cork, Can I just there's say, foam. I, I, I know, I understand rationally that they actually play a part, that they do the thing. <laughs> no, like, it's just the aesthetic. I think it's just an aesthetic. I think it's, it's just, a 70s yep. stoner, like Josh Cross, like, hey man, look at all the fractal shapes here. Dude. Right. But like, also, this is how I imagine Josh Cross's home actually looking being decorated. <laughs> I've been to his house. It's not like that, but like right. this is how I imagine like he's decorated his, his cabin upstairs. Well, because he's married to a lovely woman, but here he can do whatever he wants. There's <laughs> right. no one to say no, don't do this that. Is his, man, his man cave is just outfitted with weird audio dampening so wall wait, hanging. And there is a poster I, of Led Zeppelin here. I mean, talk about something that's making me laugh. I'm just going to cry. It's so funny. Remember when, like, when we were on Zoom, like, last week, our producers noted that it's much easier to edit us because we're all on separate tracks. And if we interrupt each other, it's it's easy. Like, it's like it's as though we're normal people who talk in a normal way. Right. But here, I'm just, like, looking at them across the table thinking, like, you're never going to be able to edit this because yeah. we're just taught where there's crosstalk, there's mic bleed. Oh, my God. It's going to be crazy. We've jewified our sound again. <laughs> there it's just, go it's, the next four days of your lives. The cooperative That's... overlapping of our of our conversation. Um, uh, yeah. Thanks, guys, for that. Producer Josh here. And while the hosts have forgotten to mention that the room also has a bright orange shag rug and that there is a lava lamp waiting at home for me to bring in to add to the ambiance. What they really forgot was to introduce the guests on this week's show. Both of our guests are from our recent live show in Virginia Beach. Our Jew of the Week is Congresswoman Elaine Luria, and our Gentile of the Week is NFL Hall of Famer Bruce Smith. Now back to the overlap. It's good to catch up again. Good to be in this room. I'm enjoying this vibe. What we need, though, is we need we need a, a like a, a cold brew tap. On I mean, as long as this is our room, let's pimp it out. Uh, since we're here in the flesh, Mark Oppenheimer, do you want to do you want to give our listeners a visual? Who are we as people? Well, who who are we wearing? <laughs> so I'll, why don't I give a, the, the, the listeners a version of you? First of all, it's um. You won't mind my saying that it is slimmed down, Liel. It's it's Liel 7.0, who is wearing. Are those there's sort of what, salvage jeans. They're $500 jeans with with little um, roach stomper word? shoes. Salvaged? Isn't that the, what they call the denim? Isn't the, it the fancy the denim? How do you spell it? S-E-L? Yeah. S-E-L-V-E-D-G-E. S-A-L. Oh, salvaged. Oh. Salvage. Salvage, salvage okay, is, a, okay. is a kind of- I thought of maybe like, you were saying salvaged wrong and I wanted to just le gently- Le denim okay. salvage. No, no, no. You obviously don't spend as much time on elite denim sites as I mean, Liel and I, I do. I, do not. I know, Liel. I know which sites you're on. <laughs> So he's wearing his salvage denim uh, no jeans, his roach stomper shoes with the pointy toes. Excuse me, those are Lucchese, Texas, handmade in Houston. Yeah, okay. They're, 
They are. They're cowboy boots. They are. They are very fancy boots. And then he's wearing a sort of white linen summer collezione caftan of some sort. Is this the Manischewitz collezione or something else? Uh, As Mark pointed out, I look like I'm straight out of, you know, Armistad Mupon. Yeah. San Francisco gay 70s. This is his Tales of the City uh, look. It's very 70s. I'm it's, half a mustache away from being my true self. It's This is Summer Liel. He's wearing his linen. Like, he's going to the Cape. He's going to the south of France. Where's like, he's going somewhere with this. Here's the it's, thing You're about right. Me. It's Summer Liel. It's, it's Resort Liel. It's yeah. Resort Collection like Liel. When you Collection. look like, like you're a, like a bear who basically stumbled into a shirt. You could wear whatever you want. <laughs> you don't really look like that and anymore. People, I think you gotta like, stop oh saying God, that. This animal learned how to put together like a pants. You're wearing cool yeah, blue glasses. Everyone's really bringing their, yeah, their A game. I don't think you look like that anymore. On to you, Mark. On to me. Yeah. It is 1978 where you are right now. <laughs> it's 81 it is, or so. It is, it is Malibu. <laughs> You're by a pool. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've got some bright rainbow colors from my... You like, this is my surf soul. You like pina 82. colada and yep. taking walks in the rain. Yep. You're not into yoga. <laughs> That's right. I have half a brain. It's it's all true. And I have this personal ad where I'm going to meet my soulmate who's going to take those walks with so me. So you look like you're uh, an extra. Is that what they call the people? Yeah. <laughs> on, on like Red Oaks, that show. Like you're at the country club. You're at summer... Ca- like youthfulness. This is really how we're finally going to convince Jennifer Gray to come on our show. Yes. She's going to talk about Red Oaks all the time. It is true. It's time for my summer rewatching of Red Oaks. I do feel I'm at a Jewish country club. Can I just say, we joke about this, but there is a club in New Haven. Sid and I have never been pool club people, not out of any aversion. We just had a neighbor who used to let us use her pool. That neighbor, Mrs. Ahern, sold her house. We know. We know. We know. <laughs> you so have we don't discussed have pool, this We don't have pool privilege anymore. Then pandemic comes, yada, yada. This summer, we're like, we really have to have somewhere to swim with the kids. We may join the Jewish pool club in a neighboring town wow. nearby. What like, makes it Jewish? Uh, Jews are allowed? It's historically the Jewish country club. Like, it's the Jewish town. It's, I mean, none of these towns is as Jewish, as you know, being a great neck native, none of these towns is as Jewish as they used there to be. There is Hasidic swimming but and then Misnagdim no, swimming. No, it's, 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 there's Red Oak swimming. It's, it's like the secular. Of... And is that because people weren't allowed in the other places or was like not welcome? I don't know the history of why this particular town to our West became the Jewish suburb, but as opposed to the shoreline towns, Mad- yeah, those were Goyesha towns and this was the where the Jewish doctors lived. And we may actually join that pool club, in which case my attire will be only Red Oaks. I will be, and like, I will be sucking up to the president of the club and trying to date his daughter and everything out of 80s movies it's amazing. in this outfit. And I can't wait. See, my pool club is in Fairview, Fairfield, Fair Ridge, Blue Ridge, a nondescript New Jersey town which is super, super from Muslim. So the entire pool attire is like full, like burkinis, like full kind of like whole body bathing. So it's actually kind of chill vibe. Chill vibe, chill vibe. And Stephanie is wearing, um, (laughs) can we we just say you're wearing Upper West Side Mom? That you have- I was going for like like Upper West Side Mom Boss. Mom Boss, okay. There's a, a cardigan involved. There's several necklaces. Yeah, well, yeah. It's like, am I your nursery school teacher? Am I the CEO of the startup? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You like you some, don't know. Am You're I some, running for some kind of local office? Yeah, yeah. Like, could be. Yeah. Could, am I doing all of that? Right, your Upper West Side Democratic Club. Exactly. You are, you are two large clunky earrings away yes. from Upper West Side. Democratic and by the way, Club. that's a very important line for me to draw. You will never be no. the Jewish woman you're, with you're, the big ears. I, had no, 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 no. I just Bella mean right now in my outfit. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, you know, the point is we're all we're all in process. We're all evolving. Clearly, um, yeah. We're all becoming who we're going to be. Speaking of becoming who we're going to be, Stephanie, what's going on at the homestead on the Upper West Side? So guys, I have a cat problem. And I want to tell you about it. Let me play you something.
Stevens is depressed. Not the person. I mean, I have no idea about him. But my cat, Cat Stevens. If you've listened to the show or ever had a conversation with me, you've heard about Cat Stevens. He's sort of infamous and very much a part of my identity. I adopted him almost 10 years ago in Brooklyn after a breakup at a time when it seemed like every millennial woman was adding a furry feline to her life, finding empowerment in the old sexist stereotype of the cat lady. I even wrote about it for the New York Times style section. The piece was called, I'm a cat lady, thank you. But it wasn't just about the content, though the photos I posted online were adorable. Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Cat Stevens was becoming entwined in my life. He would jump on the couch while I lay there and watch Netflix, settling himself directly on top of my chest, kneading me with his paws and intently grooming me as though I were another cat. I would wake up in the mornings to find him sleeping on my pillow, arranged tightly around my head in a warm embrace. He would greet me at the door when I came home from work, jumping into my arms and licking my neck with his sandpaper tongue, basically giving me a hickey. But like any cat, Cat Stevens is complicated. Unlike his namesake, he's not all positive vibes and peace trains. It was clear early on that he also had an anxious, aggressive side. Ow, no, no, don't bite me. My arms and legs were all scratched up, and it became sort of a running joke on the podcast. Here we are back in 2017, interviewing cat therapist Carol Wilburn. We would like your professional opinion. Sure. Because we've been offering unprofessional <laughs> advice to Stephanie. And it's gotten her nowhere. For a very long time. So I have a cat. He's about three and a half. His name is Cat Stevens. What color is it? He is a gray domestic short hair. Does that matter, oh, nice. therapeutically speaking? No, I just thought your, listen- just, you're I thought your listeners yeah. would like to know. They've seen pictures of him. He is my favorite thing in the entire world, but he is a little bit of a monster. Uh-huh. He used to attack me. I mean, he's, I, I, I hesitate to tell you this, he is on Prozac. Uh-huh. He yeah. I used to attack is me. Is it working? Yes, it, it works a lot. It, I mean, I used to have, arm, my arms used to be covered in bites. But it's not totally working. Not totally working. And he... He just, like, we'll, we'll be lying on the couch and he'll just come up and just, like, start biting you. And I don't know what... Because I, you're his cat. He needs something to play with. So how big is your apartment? Pretty small. How, how small? Like, twice the size of this studio. <laughs> it's a cozy oh, West that Village. big. That's true. But there's three of us, me and my fiancé and the cat. I really need another cat. That's, that, nothing else Ooh. is going to solve it. My mom is going to hate this. <laughs> Why? Does she know. live there? No. <laughs> So why should she care? <laughs> you're right. You're right. So, you, so this is part of what you do, right? You treat both the cat and the yeah, patient. Yeah, family. Are. Say, can we just talk to you about our lives? Forget <laughs> yeah. the cats. Can sure. I just share? Right. <laughs> no, I'm gonna get Carol. It's family uh, therapy. We didn't get that second cat. If one cat was hard to manage in our New York City apartment, two felt like asking for trouble or more trouble. I talked to my therapist about cat. I talked to his even more expensive veterinary behaviorist. I got wand toys, clickers, pheromone diffusers, a bigger apartment where he could run and play fetch because, by the way, he's a genius and he loves playing fetch. We eventually all settled into a sort of equilibrium. We knew when to be careful around him, made sure to play with him and entertain him and tire him out each day and welcome those sweet cuddles when he offered them. I'm being followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. 
One night last year, early in my pregnancy, Cat curled up on the tiny growing mound of my stomach. Did he know? I had read that pets could sense the changing hormones of pregnancy. The gesture was unbearably sweet, but I was worried about our realignment as a family of four. We spent much of my pandemic pregnancy napping together in bed. We now spent all of our time at home, and Kat and I pretty much had the same schedule. Eat, sleep, groom, sort of, repeat. When Edith was born last summer, we did all the things you're supposed to do. We brought home the baby blanket from the hospital for Kat to sniff. We introduced Edith in a calm and non-threatening way. Kat wasn't that interested in this new creature who mostly slept all the time, which was a relief. We kept him out of her room and tried to patch together a new delicate equilibrium. But our world was completely changed, and so was his. Edith's 10 months old now, the most incredible little girl. She's rolling around, babbling up a storm, about to be on the move. Cat, meanwhile, is pretty lonely. He doesn't get the attention he used to. I don't have the endless time I used to, between baby and work and, I don't know, sometimes showering and occasionally talking to Ben Cohen. It feels like there's just not enough time for everything. Cat has gotten the raw end of the deal. He's unhappy, he's anxious, he's on edge. All of that brings out his aggressive side. The biting, the scratching, the marked up arms and legs. Okay, I know, I'm too close to you. Okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to play with you. I just wanted to give you some attention. I just wanted to give you some attention, Mr. Cat. I love you so much. He mostly takes out his anger on me and sometimes Ben, but with the baby in the house, it's too risky. He can't help it. He's just a cat. But I can see that things could go in a bad direction where I don't even want to imagine what happens. And then I'll need to get him out of here immediately. He's unhappy. I'm stressed. Edith is obsessed with him and frustrated that she can't get any closer to him. Are you waving at the cat? Are you waving at the cat? Are you waving at the cat? Hey, what do you have to say back? Oh, you're meowing back, okay. It's clear that this isn't a good place for him anymore. So after all these years, I need to rehome my cat, even though it breaks my heart. I'm ashamed, and I didn't really want to share this, but I think this might be my best chance at finding him a loving home. Maybe one with other cats, maybe with outdoor space, maybe somewhere magical like Nebraska. I won't let him go until I found the right place. I want Cat Stevens to find his peace train, and I'm hoping you can help me. So, J. Crew, I am asking you for help. Maybe you know the right place, a loving home for Cat Stevens. Maybe you are the right home for Cat Stevens. I'm looking for a loving place to send uh, my firstborn. F-U-R-S-T. And if, if you're listening to this podcast and you like us, we will stop at nothing to get this dibuk out of the Butnik Cohen household. We would come to you. We will cook you dinner. We will read your children bedtime stories. We will prepare your taxes, whatever it takes. If you have any leads, please send me an email to my, my personal work email. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sbutnik at tabletmag.com. I really appreciate it. And yeah, don't judge me. And Jay Crew, listen, if you take this cat, you will be part of the show. There will be uh, weekly check-ins with you. You will become one, one of us. This is your path. This is your path to stardom. I want to point out that when I went on the 
the unorthodox Facebook group and said, I have to give away my brown corduroy pants with dog insignias on them because the insignias are a little bit scratchy. I had about five takers immediately. I put them in the mail. And for the price of shipping, I mailed them to a very nice gentleman who then posted a photo of himself three days later <laughs> wearing Sisterhood my, of the traveling my, pants. my castaway clothing uh, Labrador insignia pants. You By the way, we have our own buy nothing group in the Facebook right. group. So, Move over, so Eddie Chang. Easy sell. Live cat. We shall see. News of the Jews to Chicago, home of many Jews. I quote from the Algemeiner newspaper, a Chicago city councilor has filed a formal complaint against a municipal official after the official was caught on voicemail using an anti-Semitic slur about a local rabbi. The article continues, local news outlet Chicago Block Club, which doesn't really sound like a local news outlet so, so much as some crazy person's personal Facebook page, reported the incident on Thursday. The alder person reported her ward superintendent, Andrew Zork, to the city's Department of Human Resources after she was made aware of the voicemail from last September. I remember playing Zork in the 80s, my favorite <laughs> text-based computer adventure game. Uh, long story short, Zork had been trying to get a hold of a rabbi at a local school to discuss trash and overgrown weeds on the campus. And after leaving his message, Zork did not hang up, the famous failed hang up, and the voicemail continued recording. He was heard saying to another person, yeah, yeah, I left two messages. He didn't call me back. Fucking Jew, according <laughs> to the report. <laughs> the rabbi forwarded the voicemail around to another rabbi. It eventually found its way to this alder person. Now, this is the best part. Um, there's an investigation by the Chicago Inspector General. By the way, I love that a municipality has an Inspector General. I would like to be an Inspector General. For times such as these. For times, I would like to be New Haven's Inspector General. <clears throat> Zork told inspectors, quote, that a stroke has affected my speech. So maybe I wasn't saying it right, according to the Inspector General report. What Zork I meant is dirty money-grubbing heat. <laughs> Zork said he meant to say, quote, fucking Jewish school, <laughs> not fucking Jew, due to his frustration at trying to get the school cleaned up for two weeks and getting no response. So is there a non-anti-Semitic way in which one says that fucking Jewish school? I mean, for two weeks, I've been telling those Christ killers to clean up their filthy hovel of a yeshiva and they do nothing. Can you believe it? By the way, this actually happened in September. So I think there's a pretty good reason why this rabbi may have been busy in September, which is typically, I don't know what when the Jewish holidays fell that year, but I'm like, I think September's an historically bad time to get a rabbi on the phone. I don't and think it's Zork. Do I have to wait until Cheshvan to get him on the line? I don't understand this. Bear with me here for a moment. I'm actually going to do a, a deep, deep, deep reading of this. The Algemeiner newspaper, which, you know, is a kind of Jew-friendly, they publish a lot of Jewish news of the Jews type stuff. So I don't think they're anti-Semites, but <laughs> the first paragraph, a Chicago city councilor has filed a formal complaint after the municipal official was caught on voicemail using an anti-Semitic slur. What is the slur? Jew or just fucking Jew? It's I'm insane. Not, I, I don't like it. Yeah, why is fucking Jew why is actually fucking a Jew? slur? Why is fucking Jew? I don't that's think right. that's a slur. We're all fucking Jews. All fucking well, Jews. I mean, yeah. it's awkward because that's how we talk to each other on voicemails before we hang up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get a hold of a bunch of fuck, fucking yids to get fucking, this podcast together. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> fucking heebs never returning our calls. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, elsewhere in News of the Jews, um, Adam Sandler's 13-year-old daughter, Sonny, 
proud owner of the dogs, Matzo Ball and, right? What are their dog? What are Sandler's dogs named? Matzo Ball and Meatball? Something like Something that. Something like that, yeah. I think that was on our first episode. Had her bat mitzvah and she had some big stars who celebrated with her, according to a TikTok video shared by user Lila Newkirk, Lila with an H, which I didn't know you could do. TikTok, which is 60 minutes, only, you know, 13 seconds. Right. <laughs> uh, Kid Cootie was there, as was... What's King Kid Cuddy? Is it Cuddy? <laughs> why, why, why are you correcting him? This is such a pleasure. <laughs> I saw everyone just kind of like looking at each other. Kid like, are Cutie we going to As wait, long as let me try to, yay. Wait, can I try to get through the rest of the names here and see if I get any Jay's the rapper. Kid Cuddy's Day and Night played as Peyton List. What's a Peyton List? I think that's like None a- None of you know what Peyton that's List a young, is. I think that's like a young star, right? Uh, Beyonce was there too. Right. <laughs> Taylor Lautner, who was in- Wait, wait. Did I spell that, say that wrong? The Quaducer, what's his? Lautner. So I know I got Taylor right. Taylor Lautner, who was in Twilight, right? <laughs> of course. Wasn't he a vampire? No, no, he was a werewolf. werewolf. He was a werewolf. <laughs> no he's spoilers. He's super buff. <laughs> oh, sorry, I hit the table. He's super, he's super cut. I've, what yeah. show was he? Was it Saturday Night Live where he was, there was jokes about how ripped he, anyway, very ripped guy, Taylor Lautner. Sandler, I know who Sandler is. And Jennifer Aniston, I know who Jennifer Aniston, were all posing with oversized <laughs> stuffed Smarties candy. And they make it, the, the article makes it sound like, oh my God, it's this over-the-top bat mitzvah. They got Jennifer Aniston. I don't think Sonny Sandler knows who Jennifer Aniston is. I think, well, I think she's I think like Aunt Jenny because really they're in, they've been in a bunch of movies. What's that movie, Just Go With It? Like that, right. there's, they were in a lot of movies together. So she's there as the family friend, not yes. as the celebrity. But what's right. funny is Kid like- Cutie is there as the Halsey celebrity. Halsey and Charlie Puth are there who are people like, I barely know. Like it's a lot of like- I think it's actually Charlie Puth. <laughs> I, am I right about that? No, you're not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I asked one of my kids that. I think Elizabeth said it's Puth. Incorrect. Okay, did okay. I do Halsey right, right? Yes. Halsey, yeah. Okay. I thought about it first. Middle-aged Jews. Join us next week and old Jews <laughs> old, pronouncing old young celebrity names. Fucking Jews on TikTok. Um, I thought you were going to have a problem because she, she had a bat mitzvah theme. The theme was candy, which is different than the theme that you prefer, Mark. Judaism. <laughs> Thank you for, we now can you, can, you actually knew exactly what my old rehash joke was going to be. Sandler's like, here's a new list of people who are Jewish, just like you and me, the rabbi and table too, and also the Nobody cousin. else. No, I love this. Today. I just love it because it's kind of like Grown Ups. I mean, Grown Ups was actually, I know we've talked about this. Grown Ups was a great movie because it was about like what happens when you're so successful that your kids are kind of like raised a t in a completely different way than you are. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this sort of, like like David Spade was there with his daughter. I feel like actually things were happening. I don't know. Every single I, Adam Sandler invite? movie is a great movie well, by, I was gonna say, by definition and by default. I know that you think every, that the 20 best movies of all time are the 20 best Adam Sandler movies. Leal, where does, the, where does yeah. like TikTok footage of this Bondman sort of rank in the Adam Sandler canon of movies? Here's the thing. I saw it. Saw it is a big one. <laughs> I, I watched parts of it. I, I you know, indulged. It just looked like such a joyous, fucking happy, real occasion with people who are genuinely happy to be there. It looked not at all like this glam celeb fest produced, you know, like lacquered for the camera bullshit. It just looked nice. It looked Hamish. It looked Hamish is what you're saying. Adam Sandler is the only person who can make an actual Hollywood like bash look Hamish. Well, like, like these are your old friends. Right. So, okay. So I, so his older daughter got bat mitzvahed, became a bas mitzvah, Sadie, um, in 2019. And, and Adam Levine performed. Ooh. And that to me is like the most 20, like this you is 20. You mean Adam Levine of Maroon 6, right? <laughs> of Mark Maron 5. Uh, I don't know. You just threw me off my train of thought with that freaking fire, with that fire bomb over there. Um, but anyway, like the idea that 2019 Adam Levine was who you wanted and 2022, it's like all stars of TikTok. Like you're like, I don't even know anyone who's performing. Can I just say, so as as my kids are now in the performance when is, age. 
Oh, I well, think no, you say no, the boss mitzvah age. But okay. have you secured a date? We have secured a date, which we had to apply and for last year. And can we talk year. about that at some point? Last year. Yeah. Andre Chesed? When the, yeah, when yeah. the kid was nine and a half. People yeah. aren't joining sub- synagogues in certain like New York suburbs because you can't get a bat mitzvah date and three way, years out. We didn't in get New the Haven, first. We can get or, you a date. Or the second choice. <laughs> it was our third choice. Well, that's, 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 like you, that's you know, Come as to you Becky, know. we'll give you any date you want. Any date you Come want. Come to Becky in New Haven, Connecticut, is, any date is, you want. This is like me getting season <laughs> tickets for the Brooklyn Cyclones because they let you throw the first pitch. <laughs> I was like, I'll pay $700 for that. I don't care. Um, <laughs> the amazing thing is that if you try to go to these shows that these kids aren't into, the fucking prices... Lily's like, I want to go to Olivia Rodrigo. I was like, okay, I'll take it to Olivia Rodrigo. Freaking love her, no problem at all. I go to buy tickets. They start at $1,400. <laughs> I just yeah. dropped like $400 a pop for Bieber because it's Lily's birthday. And it's like, it's unconscionable. When you and she, actually- like Anne Frank, is a believer. <laughs> Heading back to- back east again to close out the news of the Jews, uh, here in our hometown of New York City, the famous cultural institution, the 92nd Street Y, to stem the loss of membership accelerated by uh, the pandemic, has decided to rebrand. Now, um, I read from an article. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you sit? JTA. I, I, read, read, I read from, from an article news. that I got somewhere. From pay- on page <clears throat> six? What the Y is calling a transformation will in- also include new branding. An institution founded in 1874 as the Young Men's Hebrew Association and that became known as the 92nd Street Y is becoming, quote, the 92nd Street Y, comma, New York, a city-centric identity reflected in a new logo reading 92NY. 92NY, 92NY, 92NY. So they're basically deciding to go even less Jewish. So is it fair to say they're rechristening themselves as 92Y? Well, I'm confused because I feel like they went to 92Y recently. Like a few years ago, they were like, we're not the 92nd Street Y, they're, we're 92Y. I just or they're 92Y, know. but now they're 92NY. I just, so... I always like, first of all, I often feel like the only person in the universe who thinks of them as the as the Young Men's Hebrew Association, which I just think is fabulous that we used to have Young Men's Hebrew Associations. The and, Young Men. Yeah, and Hebrews Young Women and, and Young Women's Hebrew Associations, by the way. So they they lost that identity long ago. Just organically, people called it the 92nd Street Y. Now, how much did they pay the branding company? How much of the membership's hard-earned dollars went to pay a branding company to say, oh, if your logo says 92NY? more people will join. It's like in when JCC say we're going to be the J. Nobody joins because you have like a zippier, faster looking logo. I, I, that, I'm just upset that they didn't accept my proposal, which I submitted to rebrand Jew House? themselves. No. You want to call the, it the 90th century Jew the, House? The 90210 Y. <laughs> I totally uh, Peach that. Bit After Dark. <laughs> it would have been great. <laughs> uh, and would you have gotten Nat to come and actually throw out the first And Brenda Kanesh? as, what was her waitress name? Charlene, I totally forget. is our Jew of the Week and the Congresswoman for Virginia's second congressional district. Before entering politics, she spent 20 years in the Navy where she rose to the rank of commander and was the first female sailor to spend her entire naval career on combat ships. She was inaugurated as the Congresswoman for Virginia's second congressional district in 2019. We interviewed her last month at our live show in Virginia Beach. Representative, Yay! please come on up. 
First of all, uh, I, I really appreciate the fact that we coordinated outfits today. <laughs> you know, I'm wearing the seersucker, and I said, well, you must also be from the South, but apparently not. South Israel. South, <laughs> south of Netanya. That's right. South Mediterranean. So you had a busy day. You almost were not here, right? Like, we're very lucky to have you. It was a close call. <laughs> so I almost didn't make it um, because we were waiting for some legislation to be sent over for the, from the Senate. And sometimes that can, actually it's never fast, um, but sometimes it can take well into the evening, late into the night. And we were waiting for them to send over legislation, one, to prevent all purchase of oil and gas products from Russia, and second, to end... Um, yeah, we could clap for that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to. And to end uh, normal trade relations with both Russia and Belarus. So uh, both of those passed the House and the Senate today, and I made it on the road, so... Before we even go on, I, I have to know, because I'm, I'm a terrible human being, and I've been thinking about this a lot, that if I were in your position, uh, this is basically an ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card for anything you don't want to do. Like, I would love to come to your dinner party, but, you know, we're just ending trade relations with Russia tonight, I don't think. Do you ever do that? <laughs> the problem is people can turn on C-SPAN. They can see you're not. But you can always claim the traffic at the tunnel. I mean, that'll always work. That'll, that'll always do it. So let's go, let's go back to the beginning, like before you. So you're from Alabama Jews, right? Four generations. Okay, so that's, that's more than me. My family was only there for a couple generations. They were in Mobile. You're from Birmingham. I have my own story of how they got there. It involved my grandfather's fourth marriage. Um, how did your family get to Alabama? Because nobody disembarked from Europe at Alabama. So they came via different paths. So on my dad's side of the family, some actually came via New Orleans in the 1850s through rural Mississippi up to Pennsylvania and then back down again after World War II. On my mom's side, this is kind of a funny story for your audience. Um, so my great-grandparents ended up in New York City with a baby, which was my great-aunt Rose. And the baby and the baby carriage disappeared off the street. <laughs> and so when they got the baby and the baby carriage back, happy ending to the story, my great-grandmother was like, we're not staying here. <laughs> and so they had some uh, distant family who were down in, in Alabama. Um, they headed down to Alabama, ended up uh, in a rural county, Walker County. Um, they were peddlers. They were selling dry goods to coal miners in Walker County. And then that grew into a brick and mortar store. Then part of the family actually grew that into a chain of discount stores. Do you ever wonder who sold dry goods before the Jews came here? <laughs> First of all, I don't even know what dry goods are. I know my family sold them also. Whatever they are, nobody had them until the Jews came in the 1850s or so. It was like, it was a dry goods free continent and the Jews showed up with dry goods. It was a predecessor to 7-Eleven. It was called 613. It was very popular. <laughs> okay, so, oh, so that's how they ended up there. They, and then they ran a bunch of stores. And that's where you grew up? Is that where you grew well, up? Well, my grandmother also grew up in Jasper. Um, married my grandfather, who that side of the family actually came through Philadelphia to Toronto. He joined the Army Air Corps as a doctor in World War II and they made their way back to Birmingham. So they didn't go to Jasper, the little town in Walker County, but settled in the big city of Birmingham. And that's where my parents were both born to. Do you, do you feel like you should still be there ever? Do you feel like that's where your people... I mean, you ended up here because of the Navy, right? I did, but we've been here 20 years. So I feel like this is home. So, okay. Navy. I don't know a lot of Jewish parents who are rooting for their kids to go into the military in this country. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? Doesn't every Jewish girl from Alabama go in the Navy? <laughs> well, I actually was very good at math and science, but it wasn't my passion. I really liked the humanities. So I had this idea, I'm going to go to Columbia in New York, do the core curriculum, study the classics, but maybe I'll be an engineer at the same time. 
And so I got invited to the summer science and engineering seminar at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. My aunt lived up in the Bethesda area, so we'd go up to the D.C. area sometimes. And so I convinced my mom, I want to go to this thing in Annapolis for four or five days um, as a junior in high school. So I went, I fell in love with it. But I decided I, I did not want to be an engineering major. But I did uh, apply to the Naval Academy, only school I applied to. And um, but here we are uh, and, after and mom, 20 years. mom said what? Um, <laughs> my parents were enthusiastic. My, my dad had the you know, price is right for one yeah, that's thing. true well for parents i mean if yeah, you're a graduate I mean. you gotta you know you have a payback I'm hoping to send five in kids the into the into the service academies <laughs> it's, it's, otherwise they'll never go to college i can't afford it but so when you were in there how did you because you you ended up you have to choose a specific path and i mean how did you end up deciding what it was that you were going to do when you were commissioned i think i always wanted to serve on ships go in the navy serve on ships um and it was kind of interesting because when i got to the naval academy uh, there were opportunities for women, but there weren't as many. And I kind of didn't actually realize it at the time until the Combat Exclusion Act was lifted in 1995, so halfway through my time at the Naval Academy. Um, there were a lot more opportunities that became available. So women were able to go on combatant ships. Um, so when I decided to be a surface warfare officer, they have a service selection. You kind of buy your class rank, go pick the ship. I was the first group of women who got to go to ships in Japan and Yokosuka. So we were kind of the first women on the waterfront in Yokosuka with the forward deployed fleet. Um, our class was like the second class of women who got to go in the Navy's nuclear power program. So I, I decided to go nuclear power because somebody told me like, oh, women will be able to go on submarines next year. So pick that. And, you know, but it, it took quite a while. But it's really exciting now um, to see all the things that women are doing in the military. And um, as a member of Congress, it's very exciting because we actually provide the nominations to the service academies. So to get to, to talk to and see all the, the young, accomplished people who are also you know, seeking careers in the military, going to the service academies, I really enjoy that part of the job, calling them and saying, congratulations, um, you've been accepted to the Naval Academy. Now, I'm, I'm very narrow-minded. Uh, I have a list of things that I don't think Jews should be doing. Uh, skiing is definitely on that list mainly because I grew up in a desert country, but boating is pretty high up too. Was there ever a moment in which you said like, why, what am I doing in a warship? Why am I here? I'm a nice Jewish girl from Alabama. Like, yes, I get it. Science and big machines and everything, but boats. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, so it was actually somewhat unnatural getting to Congress. You know, I have to wear heels, put on makeup. I mean, I wear coveralls and steel-toed boots for the better part of 20 years. So um, maybe this feels a little bit more unnatural. And actually, it's so funny because when I was first running, someone called me up and they said, Elaine, I need to meet with you. I need to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay, this sounds really serious. So I went and met this man at a Starbucks, somewhat you know, kind of halfway between where we each lived. And he said, Elaine, someone told me that they saw you wear the same jacket twice in a week. <laughs> you, if you're going to run for office, you really need to buy more clothes. <laughs> That's kind of infuriating, isn't it? I mean, I mean that they would matter. matter at all, right? Well, it's something to think about because, you know, if you know that you're going to get photographed or be on TV, you, you really kind of have to mix things up and not repeat too often. So I'm curious, there you are in Congress and you've been there for a few years now. What's different from what you thought, uh, from what you expected? What's the, what's the thing that surprised you most about the work of Congress? Well, something I think is really surprising is when you turn on the TV and you see, you know, it seems like everybody's fighting all the time. No one gets along. No one works together. It's really not like that. And especially 
when you look at the Virginia delegation. So something I love to tell people, us as Virginians should be very proud that the Virginia delegation, all 11 members of the House, both senators, very frequently with the governor. We meet monthly, our chiefs meet monthly. So you have a full Virginia delegation, bipartisan meeting every other week. And the fact that we really do work together and some of the committees that I'm on, I'm the vice chair on armed services, the Veterans Affairs Committee, they're very bipartisan for the most part. And so there really is a lot that gets done where people find common ground, they're working on things together, but it just doesn't come through all the time. So I, I, I have to ask why, you know, because look, this week, uh, there, you're probably aware of this, there was a, a rabid fox running around D.C. biting Congress people, and most Americans were rooting for the fox. <laughs> Why, why this perception? I'm so glad to hear you say things are, are you know, much better than they seem. And I, I, I believe it mainly because I want to believe it for the sake of my small children. But why then do we think of Congress and think of this, you know, swampland of incessant partisan fighting? I feel like there's some people who were there just to have a platform. And so they try to be sensational. They gravitate to the extremes of either end, left, right. And then there's a lot of people in the middle who I think for the most part keep their head down, do a lot of work, or the ones who get the most legislation done and, and kind of the most uh, things accomplished. So, And it seems that it's gotten even sort of more polarized between those people on the extreme trying to have you know one extreme point they want to make over here and one sideshow they want to do over here. So... If the press just paid more attention to the somewhat mundane things that are actually getting done, they're not necessarily the headline, you know, grabbing things, then um, maybe the point would get across more. So what does a typical day look like for you? Well, they're all different, but they just generally start. Um, yeah, yeah I fox. didn't get chased by the fox, but I do have a funny story about, can I tell that one first? There was actually another fox in 1919. Who knew? And then he started his own cable news network and did very well for himself. <laughs> but this was a pet fox that got loose in 1919. <laughs> it was a gray fox, not a red one. It escaped on the Capitol grounds and over 100 people chased down and caught this pet fox who was returned to his owner. And the best part, returned home in a motorcycle sidecar. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see a picture. The news clip that someone found um, didn't have a photo, but I would love to see the fox in the sidecar. Um, but a typical day, so it's not at all that glamorous, right? You know, you think like, you know, maybe you have these fancy lunches and you do kind of all of these things. Um, no, we think you all fight with each other all yeah, day. Yeah, okay, we <laughs> fight with each other and you grab, you know, the peanut butter crackers out of the snack machine. Um, but, you know, I think it depends a lot on, you know, what kind of district you represent, what committees you're on. Um, those kind of things. So there's very few members in Congress who actually represent like competitive districts. So when it comes to election time, you know, they kind of have a lot of work to do, um, both as far as they're working as members of Congress, but then, you know, also thinking about, you know, how am I going to run TV ads and do the, those kind of things. So there's a lot of bouncing around um, that is required from committee meetings. I have the extraordinary privilege of being on four committees and five subcommittees. So I, like I said, I serve on armed services as the vice chair. I chair a subcommittee on veterans affairs. I guess I wasn't busy enough my first time in, term in Congress, so I also volunteered to be on the Homeland Security Committee. 
Um, and lastly, I'm, I'm now serving on the select committee for the January 6th investigation. So my days are, are quite busy, uh, filled with those things. Now that you know COVID is winding down, the Capitol's open again. Um, we have a lot of constituents, a lot of folks from the district come up to DC to meet with us about issues that are important to them. Then we have votes that get called at completely arbitrary and unplanned times. So you may have a great schedule laid out for the day and you find yourself running back and forth to the Capitol, um, trying to you know, catch part of a hearing or a meeting uh, in between those votes. And then, you know, sometimes it goes late into the evening. There's different events um, around D.C. Um, with different groups who may have meetings or conferences in town, um, opportunities to speak at things, to listen to speakers. I'm very prone to seek out, you know, those who are focused on Navy-related issues. So, On, on that um, note, though, so for about, um, I don't know, two years after I, I got out of the Army, with the very respectable rank of lieutenant, I had a really, which I totally don't deserve, um, I had a really hard time in, in civilian life because I just wanted to tell people to do things and expected that they would because they had to because I'm a lieutenant and they're not. Um, is there a point <laughs> when you get to Congress be like, I'm a commander. I tell you what to do right now because I'm in charge. And someone's like, no, actually doesn't work this way here. Do you have like a moment of like dissonance? We have to get used to civilian life. Well, I definitely think it's very different to be in a legislative body than to be in, you know, sort of a strict chain of command in the military. So you do learn um, that building relationships or finding that one thing that you have in common with, with someone where you can, you know, connect because maybe you might go back to that person later and say, well, gee, you have a port in your district as well. Let's talk about this legislation related to ports. Um, or, you know, we have a lot of rural areas here on the Eastern Shore, and well, maybe this person has a lot of chicken farms in their district. You know, whatever the thing is, um, trying to kind of identify those things where you might make a connection with someone because you can work with them on some issue. So, I, you know, I, I guess I've learned to that adage, which is maybe a Southern thing, that, um, you know, you kill more um, flies with honey. Um, so really, it just benefits you to, to really be nice to everyone and try to build relationships. And as well, we say you kill more flies with hummus. Um, <laughs> my my, my co-host may have other questions, but I, I, there's one thing that I'm completely obsessed with, which is what is your favorite perk as a congresswoman? Oh, he comes from a country where being in the Knesset has no perks. And oh my God, it's like the worst thing in the world. can mail stuff for free yeah. here. It's amazing. You don't even get an office, I don't think, if you go to the Knesset. Oh gosh, it's hard to think if there, there's not, you know, maybe people have these perceptions that there's a lot of perks, but um, something that's really great is, you know, the Library of Congress is the Library of Congress, which includes the Congressional Research Service. So you know, those are the people who do all the research, help actually write the text. You know, it's very complicated, so you can't understand it anymore for a lot of the bills. Um, but the Library of Congress has just incredible exhibits, incredible events, incredible does speakers. The, does it have the latest beach read? Like if you just need a good novel, can you well, call, tell one of your aides, go over to the Library of Congress, get me that, you know, Michael Connolly, the latest Bosch novel or something. Or I You know, I don't know if they get everything, you know, on the bestseller <laughs> list. They, I mean, they do explain, you know, I guess everybody has this perception that every book that's ever been published is somehow cataloged in the Library of Congress. It's not entirely true. I don't think they all make the cut. Um, but, you know, members of Congress and their families are the only people who actually just go over and check out books to take home with them from the Library of Congress. But of course, everyone can go there and, read and research and there's the buildings right there in DC, but there's a, you know, there's repositories of millions of other books that are stored as well. Well, Representative Lurie, we wish you a, a, a Zissin Pesach, a happy Passover, and we and we hope you'll come back sometime as Jew of the Week. Thank you so much. Anyway, this thank has been you great. for having me. Thank you. 
Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J.Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uomember and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. You may not like this new mailbox song, but we haven't heard from you in so long. So we thought we'd get your attention, shine a light. Come on, pick up your pen and write. To the mailbox. I thought we were going to have so much mail about licorice pizza, and it turns out actually we're the only three people who've seen licorice pizza. Guys, because it's what I said. It's it's meh. <laughs> it's it's not meh. It's a brilliant movie, but even so. But no one like, cares either way, I think is the thing no, as much as. Stephanie. No one cares about film no, anymore. I feel like you're a big Heim fan, aren't you? Oh, I totally love that. So what? The simple fact that it's a very fine screen debut no, from no, a lot no, of no, Heim no, 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 doesn't. No, no. I'm, I'm, I think people? movies are in a weird place right now. Like, I don't know any movies that are out right now. And so I think it's actually, it has nothing to do with the film it's in that particular. It's a movie. It's, it's a movie. And like, yeah. Not and a we, TikTok. But we assigned our listenership. We gave them homework and they didn't do it. We to did. be honest, I did it at the very last minute, well, <laughs> the night a, before you, it was due. You have a baby. I mean, look, we did get one letter. It was from Marion Borelowitz, who wrote in to correct me. She said, hi, folks, I'm probably the thousandth person to correct you. <laughs> But American Graffiti, which I had referred to as kind of an ancestor of Liquor's Pizza, is most definitely not set in the Valley. It's in Northern California, like 500 miles away. Former Valley girl, Marion Borelowitz. First of all, I'm going to take your word for it there. I, I don't know that that's true. It's adorable when people from right. California think we care about like right. differences. It's like people from Brooklyn, like, oh, I'm from Bushwick, not from Greenpoint. Are you right. from Brooklyn? You're I from Brooklyn. Fucking care. You're from so Brooklyn. I want to oh, say, Jersey. I want to like, say, you're all one 
mess. Of I think Alana Haim is amazing. And I'm, I'm actually really like thrilled for her. And I think this does like catapult them into like a different sphere. I don't think this activated people as much as we, you thought they didn't it watch it. Yeah. If it, they'd watched it, it would have activated them. Anyway, the point is, Marin Borelowitz, thank you for writing because you are not the thousandth person to write and correct me. You're the one person who, I mean, we get mail over everything. I mean, we if we mispronounce something, if we get a date wrong, if we like something that you guys, like anything. If we you say guys, like. If we say like too much, if we have vocal fry, if we have vocal, you know, sizzle, if we, anything. But this topic got, last week's episode, got zero man. And it was a good episode, if I may say so. And we got nothing except Marion Borelowitz writing in to say. You're American, wrong. Amer George Lucas film, American Graffiti. You dumb. You dumb. You dumb. But look, if you don't want to watch Licorice Pizza, do something else for us. Go to iTunes, rate and review us. We haven't been saying that enough and it actually makes a huge difference. If you love this show, if you've stuck with us through the pandemic, if we stuck with you, go to iTunes or whatever platform you listen on and, you know, give us however many stars you feel I don't want to ask for five stars. What if they don't feel five stars? Four? What if they feel mad about us? What if like, they feel mad about, should they, um, do you want them to be I want them to be honest? honest. I will say we have some bad reviews from like people who are like, these guys are idiots. And I'm like, that's the point. Um, <laughs> so yeah, can you help us? Or the bad reviews still from people like, I thought I was going to watch the TV show <laughs> from Netflix. And these guys just, it's a podcast. Where's, where's the where's wig Shira? on the woman? Um, yeah, I'd be honest, right? I less care about this, the number of stars than what people say. Right? Like, that's the fun part of a review. Here's your assignment. You have to do one of three things if you want to keep listening to the show. Number one, you could <laughs> Get watch a Cat Stevens. You could, you could, four things. Number one, you can adopt Cat Stevens. Number two, you can watch and then comment on Licorice Pizza. Number three, you can rate and or review us on a platform of your choice. But don't say that I'm trying to give my cat away through the podcast on, the, on your review. And don't review Licorice Pizza on Apple for us. Right. <laughs> or Cat Stevens. <laughs> or number five, you can write to us unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call us and leave a voicemail 914-570-4869. Our Gentile guest this week is NFL Hall of Famer Bruce Smith. He played for the Buffalo Bills for 15 seasons and then finished out his career with four seasons with some team in Washington that doesn't really matter. After he retired, he moved back to Virginia Beach where he now works as a hotel designer and we are so happy to have him with us. Bruce Smith is a former NFL defensive end who grew up not too far from here in a town I'm not going to pronounce because I want to hear his pronunciation of it because we've heard different pronunciations of it so far today. Please welcome Bruce Smith. Yeah! Oh, so much to ask you. Ever been a Gentile of the Week before? <laughs> First of all, let me say, what a class act, Elaine Laurie. Um, Bruce, Bruce Smith, before we get to all of the football, the NFL, everything that you've done that's that's so amazing, can you help us? Like, we're, we're here from New York. Give us the lay of the land. Where are you from? It's called Norfolk. Norfolk. <laughs> <laughs> and what is, like, the most embarrassing way to say that? Like, what's the most embarrassing way to reveal uh, that you're from out of town? People butcher it up all the time. I just think that there's been a little bit too much division. I was sitting here listening to uh, Elaine and, and all the partisanship and, and fighting and so forth. I'm used to that. When the whistle blows, we fight. <laughs> we fight for 60 minutes. But when the whistle blows again, we stop. 
you know, we're friends, we're cordial towards one another and so forth and so on. We don't get on TV. I mean, really? We, yeah. Really? Because yeah. I, I, I watch these games. I'm a sports fanatic and I'm saying to myself like, a person just did this to me. I'm not yeah. cool with that person. Yeah. I, I know yeah. it's a game. I know it's a thing. But yeah. like, you never walk off the field and be like, that thing that you did, like, well, I'm going to get you next time. Some some of us do have attitudes, but that's what that, that window of 60 minutes is for. You can get as physical as you want to within the guidelines of the rules. No cheap shotting. And we expect everyone to not want to harm someone's career by doing something that's a low blow. But it just appears to me that in politics, that's done all the time. And it's unfortunate because nobody wins. So when... <laughs> yeah, you guys can clap for, yeah. for sportsmanship. <laughs> so I've interviewed athletes before who have had a very difficult transition after, especially ones after long careers, which you had, you know, it's one thing if you're in for a couple of years and then, but it never really becomes part of your identity. But you had one of those, especially given the physicality of the position you played a very long career. Did you always know what you wanted to do afterwards? I was one of the, the, the very fortunate. I was blessed with a great deal of talent. I found out at an early age how to work extremely hard to get the most out of the ability and the talent that I had been uh, uh, blessed with. My parents, George and Annie Smith, were laborers and made a modest living. And uh, I'm very fortunate to have been brought up by two very conscious parents that were living through difficult times in the, the 50s and the 60s and, and so forth. So uh, I'm old enough to reflect back on my childhood in the 60s and, and the 70s, I caught the tail end of segregation in Norfolk, where they were busing kids that were living in one neighborhood to another neighborhood where there was a elementary school that existed in my neighborhood, but we were bused to an all-black school. It, it gave me an opportunity to understand my surroundings and, and the challenges and obstacles that African-Americans faced on a day-to-day -day basis. It was a struggle. And um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in the position that I am today and have these memories and sometimes they, they're scars uh, and reflection uh, of those trying times. I want to get back to that in a second, but something about what you said struck me because this is something I've been thinking about a lot as someone who wishes for nothing more on this earth than to have been blessed with the ability to be an athlete. Cruel, cruel joke there played on me. <laughs> um, you worked with uh, the legendary coach Levy, who's you know, one of those kind of very cerebral coaches. When I think about the relationship between athletes and coaches, it seems to me that there's almost kind of um, like an unbridgeable gap because athletes so often are people who are so good because they're so instinctual. They trust their body. They trust their mind. They trust the kind of the way that they know the game is played. And when I talk to coaches, it seems to me that they're very often kind of like they're thinkers. They're very cerebral. They have plans and ideas in mind, but they're not the people actually feeling the pulse. Was it difficult, especially in the game like football, which is so deeply kind of complicated and strategic, kind of trying to, to, to learn how to work in not just, you know, your own tremendous abilities, but to work as a team and to work as part of a larger kind of group strategy. As you enter into the field of sports, 
you understand that there are responsibilities, there is accountability, there has to be a, a degree of discipline, uh, and you have a job to do. When a play is called on the field, we've got one job to do and one job to do only. So it, it, it's critical to understand at a young age how important that every person on the field does their job. And if one person doesn't do his job, that exposes the defense, the offense, or the special team. You are part of an absolutely legendary team that made it to the Super Bowl, I believe, four years in a row without winning the title. Now, as, as a religious Jew who thinks a lot about historical tragedies and continuous cycles of That was sadness, a tragedy. How do, you, how do you live with that, knowing that you're so freaking great and you're there year after year? And it's, the, I believe, what, Giants, 49ers, and... Cowboys twice. Cow- right. It was it was the not Giants. that you remember anything. It was the Giants. <laughs> it was the Giants, formerly known as the Redskins, uh, now the Commanders, and then uh, the Cowboys twice. Yeah. How do you how do you so do you develop like a, a like a theology like a religious approach to to overcoming this? Is does it mess with your head? Does it mess with your soul? It was tough for a while. The first one was the toughest one to swallow because we lost that. Uh, game by one point. We missed a field goal in the final seconds. The others were under different circumstances. We were losing uh, uh, in two of them. Um, One of the others, we were winning at halftime, but um, they turned out to be uh, lopsided. We turned the ball over. Um, I think in three of those games, I believe 12 times, uh, you're not going to beat very many people turning the ball over. Uh, but nevertheless, the, the, the first one was the toughest one to, uh, to get over because we lost by one point and by that field goal that we missed. So how do you get over? What's, what's your kind of spiritual self-care routine? Well, um, I don't know if you ever really get over it because the Super Bowl still is played annually. <laughs> you know, so it, it, those memories always are within you, and um, you know, you you have the texts, the group texts, and and so. Are forth you in touch? So are you in touch on. with your old teammates? Are oh, you texting each other during the Super Bowl? Every no, we text four or five times a week. Jim Kelly, who happens to be one of my dearest friends, Daryl Talley. Um, hey, what are the texts about? Spend it. Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> you don't want to know. Yeah, we we. We just have so much fun. A lot of our texts are like, we want to get this guest. Do you think he's Jewish? What about like emojis? Are there any like emoji offenders? Oh, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listening to you talk, you're so reflective. You're so introspective. Is faith a part of your life? It feels like, is that, is that coming yeah. from that? Yeah. I, I tell you, one of the things that, that really strengthened my faith was when I had an opportunity to take a trip with Robert Kraft and the Hall of Fame with 17 other Hall of Famers to Israel. And it was one of the most fulfilling trips. It happened to be my birthday at the same time and to be there, the birthplace of, of Jesus Christ, 
along with being with 18 of my fellow Hall of Famers, Joe Montana, Mean Joe Green, Eric Dickerson. It was somewhat of a dream come true because I'd always looked in and revered as Mean Joe Green as one of the people that, that were one of my heroes growing up. I, I'm Everybody's got to remember that, that Coke commercial. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where he won your heart and, and the fact that the Steelers were so doggone good at that time. Uh, it was uh, it was a special time. Until you got to Israel and realized that football means something very very different <laughs> to those people. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you uh, you talked about your thinking that had you had the opportunity to be over here, and, and you want to. Yeah, backstage, yeah. Liel walks up to uh, to our guest, to Bruce, and says, just look, I'm 6'5", and, and I know that if I'd gotten started on sports earlier, I actually could have been a really, really terrific football player. <laughs> could you teach me, like, what's the technique my dad would have had? He and so you said like, to me. I said, that's what everybody thinks. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier sort of growing up rights, you know, with segregation still, you know, very much a lived reality, and we've had a lot of discussions recently about race in the NFL. How, how is the league doing? Do, do you think there are improvements? Do you think there's still a lot of ways to go? I, I think there's a ways to go from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, ownership, there are no African-Americans in a ownership position. Coaching, while we do have, I believe, one or two, but the situation that, that just occurred, and my hat goes off to him, Bruce Arians, Virginia Tech grad, uh, by the way. He stepped down to pave the way for his African-American defensive coordinator to become the head coach. And I thought that was just a class act. But there's a backstory to that. Uh, his son was turning 40 years old, and Bruce had visited, uh, well, not visited, but went to his son's 40th birthday and so forth. And his eyes really got wide open, and he understood his son was 40 years old, and he had spent his life coaching, and had missed all of that window. And that's what one of the things that compelled him to step down and pave the way for this, this next generation, along with diversity and inclusion. Um, so Bruce, led by example. Every time I see him, I always commend him for the way he's handled his team. Uh, I don't know if you've seen his coaching staff, but it's representative of inclusion and diversity. Uh, but what a class act he is. You, of course, have stepped into a, a, a very privileged seat, the Gentile, the weak chair. No, I stepped into Elaine's, and <laughs> Elaine's seat. She warmed it up for me. <laughs> and... Um, as Liel said, one of the many prerogatives and privileges of sitting in that seat is you get to ask this internationally recognized panel of Jewish experts any question you want about Jewish culture, history, et cetera. What question did you bring for us today? Well, I, I sent it in. I thought one of you guys were going to read it. but, but We're going to make you ask it. And you guys are the best. I, I really enjoyed um, uh, the, the interviews. That, you know, <laughs> uh, well, I, I sent the question is... Um, I had all kinds of things going through my mind. I, I wanted to make sure that none of them were 
We don't get out offended. Of, out of bounds. We, so you we should know we nothing prefer the ones that are out of bounds. We want to hear the question. Feel we also free hear the to questions like, yeah. you didn't go with. Oh, actually, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's the question we really want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so why are so many Jewish names end with Stein or Berg or yeah, help me out. Steen, Steen, yeah. man, yeah, yeah. Because they cost more money. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. That was just playing into a stereotype some people hold about us. Um, so I have an I have an answer for that. Sure. So, but you know, there might be someone in the audience who knows this a little bit better than I mean. My understanding is it was sometime in the Middle Ages when Jews were actually made to take last names, and before that, we were just like Stephanie Yankel the Taylor, Stephanie Bot. You know. Yeah, your name was like right. daughter of who, right. whomever. Elise. Stephanie bought Elise. Yes, yes, my mom's right. name. Liel Ben Ronnie. <laughs> so son of, daughter of, but we didn't have last names. And that when we took last names, we, it often, a lot of times it had to do with what occupation you were in. So Steen means stone in German. So, you know, Goldstein would be someone who works with gold stones. Berg means mountain. So I think, I'm not sure why you'd be a gold berg. So this is where I get a little confused because when they made us take names, last names, we ended up with a lot of last names in, in Eastern Europe and Germanic or Yiddish-speaking countries that had these words for stone, um, mountain, et cetera, as the kind of suffix. But I, I, don't, I don't- But I also think largely those are German names, right? Like those are Germanic names and that's because so many Jews in America come from that area. So there are probably, sometimes you see it what looks like a Jewish last name and it's just a German person, right? Like if you go to Germany, there's probably a lot of names that we hear, like we would read as Jewish, but aren't necessarily Jewish. But even when, if it's not, if it's not from there, it's, it's most often, it's either an indication of the place they came from or more likely their profession. Uh, those are names just given to them. Well, it's funny, like you're Oppenheimer, isn't, Opp isn't that a right. place? So Oppenheim is a place in East Germany, right? So Heim, whenever you're a Heim, right? Um, and by the way, we'll talk about Marv Levy in a second. That's a, I have a different answer for you there. So whenever you're a Heim or a Heimer, there are a lot of German towns. Heim means home in German. So Oppenheim was probably like Offenheim, open house, hospitality. And an Oppenheimer was somebody who was from that town. So a lot of time, a lot of them, yeah, they come from places. And yeah, stuff and like Leibowitz that. means potentially very good football player in the <laughs> <laughs> You won't let that go, will you? <laughs> but Marv Levy was from the Levite class. So there are two classes of priests in ancient uh, Judaic, uh, in, in ancient Judea. There were the, the Kohanes, people named Cohen, and the Levies, people named Levy or Levy. So What an incredible man. There you go. Marv Levy. Anyway, thank you so much for being our Gentile of the Week. Thank you for having me. Mazel tovs. Stephanie, do you have a mazel tov? Our pal Molly Yeh is, is now a doctor. She got an honorary doctorate from the University of North Dakota. And that's really, really exciting. We want all of our friends Can to I be say, honorary, honorary doctorates. doctorates are the biggest, most awesome scam totally. ever in the history Because it basically just means like, come to our graduation. Yeah, we want come to, yeah. speak and we'll make you a thing. I love it. I once did a piece on the sort of bogus honorary doctorate industry. And of course, nobody deserves a doctorate more than Molly Yeh. But and it was like, Lenny Dykstra has an honorary doctorate. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Roy Cohn has an honorary doctorate. Steve Bannon has seven. I mean, everybody has an honorary doctorate. I mean, we don't. But. And Molly, this is with so much of, and really, you're, you're, for us, yeah. you're the biggest doctor. Yeah. Us, we, we've, yeah, we honorary doctor you. Doctor Hoods. But this is actually very high. I'm saying this, I'm, I'm bitter because I'm jealous. This is, I've had two big, no, I've had three big 
kind of like life goal achievements. One is to march in a parade with a sash, which we, we did because we, <laughs> we were grand marshals. <laughs> the, celebrate parade. Israel parade. the second is to give a commencement address, which I did. And the third is an honorary doctorate. So any uh, any institution out there, no matter how bogus or illegitimate, <laughs> wishes to bestow a fake honor on me, I will. I accept. Um, Leo, do you have a mazel tov? I wish to extend, as a, as a Philadelphia Flyers fan, uh, a hearty mazel tov to the New York Rangers, who achieved an unbelievable feat of grit and perseverance. They won the Super and, Bowl? And destroyed the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm sorry, Quinn Waller here is, is unhappy. But to come back Wait, are from you a Pittsburgh fan? one deficit wow. and, you know, win in overtime most of these games just shows that was this the Stanley Cup? What a team. No, it was the first round of the, of the playoffs. playoffs. Which makes my point even more so. I always, as, as a non-hockey fan, but someone, you know, who's hockey adjacent being from New England, hockey playoffs go into late June. This is a winter sport that never ends, that concludes in the summer. That's a little weird. Yeah. They should shorten the season. I'm going to pontificate now about NHL. They should shorten the Please. season and make sure that the Stanley Cup is in March. Agreed? No, not agreed at all. They should make the season go year long. I don't actually like season stopping. I think... Every sport should play year round. I love how a year it's ago you watch. hated it's hockey all, and now you're all, all, you're all Now you have in. like serious takes. Uh, I have no Mazel Tov except I do have a big shout out to Rebecca Miller, anchor and, and soul of the Jewish community of Taipei, Taiwan. I met your mother. I believe she was Cynthia at Temple Beth Israel in Skokie, Illinois. Uh, one of the loveliest and finest congregations I've ever spoken to. And uh, she came up, started felling about you. And look, I can't wait until we do our live show in Taipei, which is you know, in the works. I just want to send a big shout out and say thank you for being part of the J Crew. Unorthodox is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by Mark Oppenheimer. That's me and Stephanie Butnick and Leah Leibowitz. We're produced and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, and Quinn Waller. And the team also includes Sara fredman Ader, Daron Rusquet, and Tanya Singer. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as Friendster. And we have a great Tumblr account. You can get Unorthodox swag at bit.ly slash unorthoshirt. Our episode art is by Esther Werdiger, theme music by Golem, and mailbox theme by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Sierra Lautman, Director of Jewish Innovation at the United Jewish Federation of Tidewater, who made our visit to Virginia Beach happen. We come to you from the studios of Tablet Studios. The gang's all here again. We are in the flat iron, baby. Shalom, friends. I didn't say fucking Jew. I said fucking Jewish school. <laughs> I said fucking Jew of the week. <laughs> They're fucking Jewish space lasers.